Comics with Aaron, Polly, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. So did I tell you guys that my air conditioner exploded? Oh yeah, you did mention that. Yeah. No, no, I haven't heard this story. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here in my home office, you know, working, toiling, as they say. And I hear this, you know, boom. Like, what the hell is that? Who's, who's uh, firing off uh, the fireworks? And, uh, you know, a, a bit later, you know, I didn't, it didn't like rock the house or anything. But a bit later, my wife's like, hey, the air conditioner was out in the back of the house. We, we have a, a small unit that handles the master bedroom area. I'm like, huh, I wonder if that was that boom I heard. And uh, turns out the uh, compressor exploded <laughs> and uh, shot shrapnel, you know, air conditioning shrapnel into uh, my fence. And you know, I'm just really glad there wasn't a dog in the backyard at the time when, uh, when it occurred, because I mean, it was, uh, it was quite the explosion. So I got to replace my uh, air conditioner this week. That was fun. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. Are, are you yeah, basking yeah. in the glow of new air conditioning though? Well, yeah, I mean, but uh, you know, you always love getting that that estimate. So here, here's what it's going to cost you: completely replace your system. Oof. Sons of bitches. Well, <laughs> and you're a Texas person, so I just assume it's like 150 degrees out there every day. So, well, yeah, I tell you, I, I will say, you know, uh, I think we all feel like the hits just keep on coming in 2020. But if there is one bit of good fortune, it has been uncharacteristically cool in Texas this week. So if there was ever a week to not have air conditioning in the bedroom, uh, this was the week uh, to do that. But what was funny is they were installing it yesterday, and the the guy uh, comes to me, and he's like, um, we've identified a problem. And I'm like, great. That's just what I needed was another problem today. And, and, and he's like, yeah, um, this isn't the right unit. The, the unit we're selling you isn't the right unit for your uh, for that space. You need a You need a bigger unit. And I'm like, okay, but you know, this is what you guys quoted me. You measured it. And he says, yeah, we apparently they made an arithmetic error in square footage. And I'm like, so what you're telling me is, he's like, well, we need we need to swap it out and put in a a, a, a bigger machine. And I'm like, okay, and you're going to hold the uh, existing ticket as the price since this is what you quoted me to, to do the job. And there's this look on his face like, yeah, it's going to be the same price. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> if there is a bit of good news, I got a, I got a better, more efficient machine. It's a good thing you, you <laughs> said something before. He, yeah. Because, uh, yeah. you know, you know, if you hadn't said that first, he would have been like, oh, and it'll cost you an additional $2,000. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> and the whole so time I, I'm just like, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> So I had a different home improvement issue this week in that uh, I have a contractor out there that is going to do some work on my gazebo. Uh, it's pretty old. I want to replace some of the wood and do a paint job and just a few improvements here and there. So I've got the order in for Home Depot for all of the supplies to be delivered and all Friday just waiting for them to show up, making sure someone's available You know, the whole time, typically my wife, just to be there when the delivery shows up. So check the website at night, and the order's canceled. Really? They, yeah. They never reached out to tell me it was canceled. There's no reason why it's canceled, but it's canceled. Wow. With no notification, none of the lumber arrived. But the previous orders, like the the other parts, the you know 
bolts and things like that that were going with it, uh-huh. those showed up. Right. Just the big lumber order never showed up. Well, you know, I, I hear that with, uh, you know, coronavirus, everyone's doing home improvements. And so, you know, lumber's in short supply. And then you you throw in, you know, hurricanes and flooding and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, I, I'm sure that's what happened is that there's a lumber shortage, but nobody, you know, nobody thought to call Wayne. Yeah, that's the part that, <laughs> like, it I mean, being canceled is one thing. And I don't know the reasoning, but that nobody reached out and yeah. said, hey, your delivery that's scheduled for this time is not going to be there. That's crazy. That's crazy. Customer service. I tell you, it's a lost art. Oof. I, I haven't done shit to my house this week, so I, I have no <laughs> I have no home improvement problems because I am not currently improving my home. That 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 happened over the last few months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My main issue is now that Jen has a desire to to move into a larger space. Ugh. I know, I, and it's like oh, I don't want to spend Moving every weekend driving to to houses that all look the same. Yeah. And yeah. she wants to move with you, right? She's not. <laughs> no, I'm keeping this place. Yeah. She wants a larger space. Well, without you taking so much of it up. So she she didn't go for my idea, which was why don't we stay in this place? We we live in a condo in a condo community. Uh, why don't we stay in this place and I'll just buy a condo in the same community and I'll turn that into manland and then we'll have plenty of space. I'll just move all my shit over there and I'll work over there and I'll play my video games over there and I'll come back here to sleep. She didn't buy, she didn't go for it. Yeah, she didn't go for that, huh? No, I, I, I thought it would be a great idea. Like, here's here's Paul's crib, but no. No, it didn't work. I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep working at it, though. She's she's probably open to moving out all of your you know comics Funko Pops and Gigas you know oh yeah oh yeah but uh, yeah she says but if I ever get, if I ever start to get sick I should pack escape. up my shit first just so she doesn't have to do it uh, speaking <laughs> of Funko Pops I got my first one in of the uh, Looney Tunes DC characters oh. I put put an order of all of those in I got my Taz dressed as Flash in this week that's Very a nice. rabbit hole from which there is no return lane. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. well, this week on television, I don't know if any of you guys watched any of the Emmys. There, there really is no point to watching that show. I, I, I watch. I was curious as to how the Zoom Emmys were going to were going to go, and mm-hmm. I saw that they were terrible. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think I watched all of five minutes and said, "Oh yeah, no, I don't need any of this." <laughs> so. I didn't know the Emmys were on until you just said that they were gone this week. Yeah, they were. They <laughs> this is were... the first I've heard of them. Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel hosted. I mean, this isn't an Emmy's podcast, so I'm not going to go into the boring shit. What we really want to talk about is that Watchmen was nominated for the most Emmys of any show on television. Uh, it, it was nominated for 26 Emmys this year, and uh, it didn't win 26. It, but it did win 11 Emmy awards, um, including for Outstanding Supporting Actor for uh, the guy who played Doctor Manhattan, Yahya Abdul Mateen. Um, Regina King won. Uh, they also won for Outstanding Casting, Outstanding Limited Series, Outstanding Cinematography, Outstanding Sound and Writing, and Sound Mixing, and a, a slew of other ones. Um, and I, I think that's fantastic. I, well, I, and, and I think well deserved, right? That's, yeah. that's certainly an award that I can uh, that I can support. You know, sometimes they give they give stuff out to shows. And I'm like, seriously. Yeah. Uh, but you didn't absolutely. I, I thought I thought Watchmen was. Uh, 
extremely well crafted well and in a year of excellent television especially since we're talking limited series in a year of outstanding limited series and short form events and things like that the fact that Watchmen won 11 well-deserved emmy nominations especially for regina king yeah um, especially for the actors who who won the emmys uh i think that's that's awesome i mean i think it's you know now that being said it's not going to bring more people into our our comics medium but it certainly uh legitimizes the reason for the show right yeah it, it, it given that um there's so much controversy on anything they want to do relating to Watchmen, uh, right you know the fact that that it was well, recognized well and i think that it will create an entire audience that is more familiar now with the hbo work than alan moore's um and even the Zack Snyder film, I think that I think that uh, I think you're right. You know, the the critical acclamation for the Watchmen miniseries um, it ha- has been much more positive than than the uh, Zack Snyder film. Mm-hmm. And you know, as as much as the Watchmen graphic novel is a touchstone in you know comic books and is well regarded outside of comic books, it's still a comic book. And so unapproachable for a large segment of the pop, uh, of the pop culture. I think that, you know, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of the preciousness in which the original work is regarded will erode and folks will really regard, you know, Damon Lindelof's efforts, uh, as more groundbreaking and as more important than the original work. I, I find that interesting. Well, especially um, because a lot of the recognition is primarily from people who don't necessarily have an intimate knowledge of the original Watchmen. Well, and it is it's also it has interesting been... when you look critics versus audience scores. Uh-huh. Like the critics give this thing ninety six to you know the high high ratings on it. Mm-hmm. The audience score is more split. It's about fifty percent. Well, and I, you know, if you're looking at a at a, a scoring device like Rotten Tomatoes, I think a lot of that's bullshit because <laughs> so many people go into Rotten Tomatoes and just want to be difficult. You yeah. know, uh, I mean, we, we see that in video games, right? I mean, before the video game ever comes out, the scoring, <laughs> you know, you, there is no way you could have played through the video game and it's got negative scores. Right. Yeah, there's some of that, but when you look at things yeah. like The Boys has 98%, Love Country has 87%, mm-hmm. versus Watchmen has 55%. You know, normally it's the other way around for these type of properties. Sure. Normally the fan rating is really high and the critic rating is really low. But you know, I don't but know this a is single completely the opposite. I don't know a single person uh that I've talked to about Watchmen and I and I've talked to a lot of people about that show. Mm-hmm. Uh and most of them are not comic book people. I don't know a single person who did not love it. Yeah, and the only reason I haven't watched it is it's on HBO. Right. And I right. don't have that. It's an excellent show. I, I, I think it is by far the best television show I've seen this year. And this is, you know, again, a year where I really saw some good television. You know, yeah. I enjoy things like Yellowstone. And, you know, I've, we've talked about a bunch of TV uh, you know, during, during the pandemic when you have nothing else to do. Uh, you know, we yeah. talked about a lot of television. Uh, but Watchmen, far and away... Uh, you know, blew me away, and uh, I'm 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 glad that they're thus far sticking to their guns and not doing a sequel. It's, it's very Alan Moore-ish, funny yeah. enough. So I, I'm assuming at some point down the line, someone else 
we'll do a sequel that will also be controversial. Um, Lindelof said he'd do one if he if he if the right I yeah, yeah if the right idea hit him, but he wasn't just going to do one to do one. Yeah, which but. you know is good because in the end, you know we we've got people kind of uh, crying foul on Tom King's Rorschach uh, upcoming yeah. book, which I mean we even talked about it that I don't, I don't it doesn't excite me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because it, this past year we we saw two sequels to Watchmen, uh, we saw you know the TV show and we saw Doomsday Clock, and I'm good. Like I'm yeah, good. I liked both of those. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. I, I think I've gotten my capper. I don't need more. You know what? What I find interesting, you know, we we've said many times on on this podcast that comics are an idea factory, right? You know, they 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 are proof of concept that then Hollywood turns into television or uh, films, you know, where there's a lot more money to be made because you know comics is really sort of a dead end business. And we saw some conversation that we this week from uh, Jerry Conway. Is that right? Yes. Um, you know, he, he comic book writer, uh, long-term tenured comic book writer. And he was talking this week on Twitter about, you know, what's wrong with the, the, the medium and why the, the business, the current framed business is, uh, not built for long-term success that, that it is a dead end business because, you know, they keep gearing things to existing readers as opposed to gearing things for new readers. And, you know, we've, we've had versions of this conversation ourselves, you know, talking about, you know, the price points too high. Um, it is a dwindling readership. Um, here's the thing that I don't understand. There's buckets and buckets and buckets of money are made on the ideas that are generated in comic books. Why didn't any of that come back to the comic book company? You know, why doesn't, you know, Marvel, uh, uh, Disney bought Marvel, right? And so they, they, they grab these ideas, you know, uh, they make an Iron Man movie, they create a whole Marvel cinematic universe. I don't feel like that money that's being earned that, that much, if any of that money is being reinvested into the comic book companies. You know, I, it, it seems, I, I keep seeing comics get more and more expensive, and, you know, they continue to price people out. I mean, there, if I was a parent, there is no way in hell I would support my child getting into comic books because it's a, a, a very expensive hobby. Um, you know, unlike when we were kids, when comics were, you know, vastly cheaper and they have well outpaced uh, inflation over the years. And that's because the, the readership is dwindling, whereas you used to have, you know, a quarter of a million people buying X-Men every every month. Uh, you've now probably got, you know, 50,000 or 100,000 people buying X-Men every month. It's crazy. I, 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 if, I don't understand why we are not – why the industry, the filmmaking industry, is not better supporting uh, the idea factory with some of the, you know, record-breaking profits. I, I just don't understand that. Yeah, I mean, I think they just, to your point, they view it as a loss. I, I, yeah. I, I think it's just... That's a loss leader, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and it drives me crazy. I I just, I feel like, I understand why, why Disney bought Marvel. I just, it feels like there should be additional investment provided into Marvel to make sure that you continue to have this, this thing out there. Yeah, because these companies can afford to have loss leaders that bring a profit elsewhere. 
you know, well, they're not giving the money back on the books. They see it. Sure. But the small companies don't have that. Right. And the overall health of the industry impacts the small companies, you know, probably more than it does the big ones. Yeah. And in Conway's Twitter conversation this week, you know, he said, again, things that we've said. Comics should be ubiquitous. They should be everywhere. They should be in your drugstore. They should be at the gas station. They should be at the convenience store. They should be at the grocery store. They should be at Walmart. They should be everywhere people are 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 and buying things. There should be comic books there. Um, the and, only thing he left out was digital. He didn't mention digital at all. And I think more so the new generation and new readers, you have to focus on digital. I know a lot of people that are look at the money say it just isn't there compared to the physical, and that's the case for the current reader base. Mm-hmm. The yeah. next generation doesn't want physical items. They You're don't want right. physical DVDs. They don't want physical books. They want to have everything digitally that they can easily just bring up and read. Yeah. Well, that's actually, you know, and this kind of ties together with Archie, right? Archie Comics announced this week yep. that they would be going day and day digital on Comixology Unlimited. They were already day-and-day digital release, but they're going day-and-day digital with Comixology Comixology Unlimited, which is the Netflix model. Um, Except it's generally only Comixology Unlimited originals, older comics, and now Archie Comics day-and-date, which no one... That's not necessarily a selling point, unfortunately, for, for, for either Archie Comics or Comixology Unlimited because Archie Comics is having trouble getting shit out on time. And, um... You know, Comixology Unlimited it, it is it's already a, a cool service that you guys use, but I feel like it, if Image or IDW or Boom, because Marvel and DC aren't going to do it, but if one of those others did it, I feel like that would be a bigger boon than Archie Comics. But it's, yeah, it's hopefully idea, a sign of things to come. The idea is really cool. It makes it basically a subscription service for all the comics from a company. Except that means I would never buy any comics from that company because I'm getting right. it through the subscription service. That's right. So I wouldn't actually own any of them, and they're going to get less money. But well, like but you were saying, the thing, Wayne, of, if the uh, cost was twenty bucks and it included DC, Mar- if it included all the comics you buy day and date digital, I mean twenty bucks—that's cheaper than a week's worth of comics for most of oh, us. Oh yeah. No, I'm all about it. I'm saying for the publishers, I don't know that it makes as much sense. Yeah, you know, because they're not they're getting whatever cut Comixology gives them on it. They're not getting the price that they would have gotten for actually selling the book. No, I, I think what makes sense is number of subscribers. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're looking at existing comic book purchasers where there's, you know, any given week somewhere between 50,000 and 100,000 people out there buying comics versus the numbers i mean think about it when when superman was big you know in the 50s and 60s when you know spider-man and etc were, were were first coming out in uh in the 60s and even in the early 70s there were more than a million comic book readers every month you know there were there was a lot of purchasing going on which is why you could have comics cost a quarter right um the idea is that you build up enough subscribers to make it worth everybody's right, uh, everybody's while, kind of like a Netflix model, right? Right. Um, that, but that you, to your point, you gotta have enough of the right content, and I think IDW, given their current financial performance. I mean, I keep expecting, I, literally, I keep expecting uh, every week to see a, a headline that IDW is shutting down. 
Uh, and, you know, I get concerned about that because they're producing some fantastic Star Trek comics right now. And I just know that they're going to shut down before they finish the run. Um, I, I think that they, they could be somebody who gets into this because why not? Why not give it a shot? Um, I picked up Sabrina this week on Comixology Unlimited, you know, because this was the first week they were doing it. Uh, and, you know, it's cool. I, I was like, this is really cool. I would not have bought Sabrina uh, because to your point, to your earlier point, Paul, they've been so infrequent in getting their uh, and unreliable in getting their books out. Um, it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. And, and I'm, 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 I'm very interested to see where they go with this, but you're going to have, if you're going to make that successful subscription model, you're going to have to leverage some content. And let me tell you, there's a book out there. Uh, edge world came out last week on comics, on comicsology unlimited written by Chuck Austin. It is a beautiful book. It is a fantastic book. It is a space opera style, uh, storytelling that I'm not seeing anywhere else. And I was like, this is some terrific content. There's not enough people who are seeing it. A terrific book. So that's what it's going to take is it's going to take some some content. And it's going to mm -hmm. take somebody educating uh, people outside the hobby about what's available there. Yeah, exactly. But I would absolutely sign my, sign my kid up for Comixology Unlimited. I would do that before I bought them. I wouldn't, though, unless, you know, it, it depends, right? And I think that's part of it because there's been Marvel Unlimited. There's been... DC and now there's going to be DC Universe Infinite. I'm very curious. You know, we were talking about, um, you know, we were talking about the 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 business model, like the financials behind mm -hmm. it. I'd be very curious to find out if what the cut comic companies get off yeah. of Comicsology sales is versus comic shop sales. Yeah. Um, given there's less printing because you know I do think that comic companies can save money on printing but it but th this is and this is something Jerry Conway said specifically is that they're they're beholden to this antiquated business model and we've said this a thousand times um, right you know of, of the comic shop model and so they're never gonna go day and day digital because they that that kind of shoots their model in the foot um, but that for at least for the big two. And without the big two, people aren't going to buy their kids' subscriptions, right? right. Um, but, you know, I would – I mean, when you look at for kids, mm -hmm. there is a ton of kiddie content out there. My little yeah. uh, There, I mean, there's a ton of kiddie content. Uh, it's not Superman and Batman. It's not Spider-Man, right, which is your older kids are going to be looking for. But for little kids to get them hooked, I think Comixology Unlimited is a, is a really good value for them. Well, and I think what they should do is a tiered model. Mm -hmm. So, Comicsology Unlimited Kids. Yeah. Comicsology Unlimited everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically have the one plan that is the current Comicsology Unlimited, but they could have even a cheaper plan that just has a subset of books, like the kids' books. Well, and, and the ability in Comicsology Unlimited, like Netflix, where you set up accounts, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this this is my child's accounts with, you know, kitty safeguards so that they're not, you know, looking at all of the... Uh, Neonomicon. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cthulhu penis. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and then, you know, my comics where, you know, where, uh, you know, you might be reading Vampirella, you know. Uh, I, I just... I think that there are solutions here that look more like a Netflix model than what Comixology is currently doing. Yeah, I agree. I think they're taking the first steps. And I think it is huge that they've got at least one company on board 
for you know day and date release onto Unlimited. Yeah, I wish that it was a company that was releasing regularly and wasn't frustrating me so much because I actually like some of the stuff that comes out in Archie. Absolutely, and I would be much more willing to try more Archie books, mm-hmm. you know, in this model, and I yeah. will be more likely to grab some and just read them. Yeah. Well, you know, in with us talking about Hollywood and their connection to comics, there were a couple of uh, you know superhero comic media related things this week, including that AT and T Warner Brothers has as has a decent amount of faith in James Gunn's Suicide Squad movie because they've already greenlit. Now that being said, greenlit means it still might not happen if the movie bombs. <laughs> um, a, a, a peacemaker. A spinoff series starring John Cena and produced by James Gunn for HBO Max. Well, and to... for them, they have not just the faith in uh, James Gunn, but it's John Cena. He comes with his own fan base. I are... like I like John Cena yeah. a lot. I really enjoy him on camera. I yep, do. But... It make, it's a safer bet than if they would have picked a random character by an actor that wasn't already bringing their own fan base. Yeah. Now, I got to say, though, I, I am not that familiar with the Peacemaker character. Nor am I. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I've, I've never been a big Suicide Squad fan, uh, and he, he is just, I was like, I, I am vaguely familiar with that guy. Well, there were two choices this week that kind of, you know, confused me as it relates okay. to the way that Warner Brothers is spending their money. One is that Peacemaker on HBO Max television show. Two is the uh, news that the Snyder Cut is actually going to have some additional footage shot. They're bringing back most of the original cast to do some shooting. Yep. Um, and that the cost of the Snyder Cut is much higher than the originally reported $40 million and is closer to about $70 million. Wow. And, you know, both bits of those news really kind of surprise me and confuse me in that... Surprised and confused. That's our Paul. Yeah, I'm surprised and confused because... In both situations, it's like, are you just really not willing to give fans a fucking Superman or Batman movie so much that you're going to throw $70 million at the Snyder Cut and who knows how much at a Peacemaker show that no one was asking for when literally fans have been begging for another Man of Steel or, you know, a Batman Affleck movie? I feel like that the Snyder Cut is... AT&T, Warner, whatever the hell you want to call them. Uh, I think I feel like it's their last ditch effort to save uh, that universe. To save that universe with the with that cast. Yeah. I think if the Snyder Cut does what they hope it's going to do, I think you'll absolutely see another Batfleck. I think you'll absolutely see Henry Cavill again as Superman. Um, you know, th- the fact that they it's still out there that, you know, Cavill might make a guest shot in, you know, the rocks, black Adam movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I think that's them testing the waters, you know? Um, and I, I I think that's great. I would love to see them, you know, uh, pull some of this back. Cause there are things I like about those movies. There are problems with them and we're not going to go down that road again. (laughs) I would absolutely love to see a Henry Cavill Superman with a different director. Yeah, I, I, and and I think that I think that's a good point. I think that these films need to be given the opportunity to live under other talent. Like Patty Jenkins doing Wonder Woman, you know her, her the feel of her Wonder Woman film is much different than than you know Justice League and Batman v Super, Superman. Um, I, uh, I 
I I'm eager for this. I because there I I think uh, Ben Affleck made a really good Batman. He was just yeah. in a in, in a movie that wasn't great. And I feel the same way about Henry Cavill. Yeah. I mean, I I don't like the movies he was in, but I think he is a great choice for the role. Those you two know, I, look ripped out of a comic book, and, and you know that that's interesting. Seeing you know we with all the things, and I, I, everyone knows I'm a Batman fan or an Affleck fan, and I wouldn't have seen him as Batman until I actually saw him as Batman. But both can, can him and Henry. Po- can you please post a picture of yourself in your, uh, you know, Jersey girl t-shirt? Yes, of course. And nothing else. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, God, no, please. No. <laughs> well, it's what you asked for, Aaron. Um, but you know, the, those two both look straight up ripped out of a, ripped straight from the comic book pages. And that's, and I, I really do hope we can see more. From, I mean, we know we're going to see more of Batman because he's going to be in, um, that uh, Flash movie, and like Aaron said, you know, there's a rumor that Henry Cavill has at least three more movies and has pitched to Warner Brothers um, in an additional Man of Steel trilogy. Um, so you know, I I think there's to your, I think the seventy million dollars is shocking to me, but I think it's an investment in the future of, yeah. of those characters. I think um, they're doubling down. I think they're they're just like you know. We've already got a fuck ton of mon- money into this, and there's a lot of goodwill behind what we're doing. Let's do it right, and let's see if we can use this to kick off our up till now mostly failed DC extended universe. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I I think it's I think it's a smart move to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Well, and you know, on the flip side of that, we have the news um, that Supergirl will be ending with this upcoming twenty episode season. And, you know, I feel like that CW, I know that, you know, they have the crossovers and the crossovers are intended to be kind of a shot, you know, shot in the butt to to, to bring viewers in. Um, Crisis on Infinite Earths was garbage. But yeah. I feel oh, like that God, entire so CW line needs to be revamped. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. For me, it feels like there is just no, I have no energy around that universe anymore now wayne i know that you bailed on uh the current the the previous season last year's season of supergirl yeah did you on on flash because i could when i I started watching flash again when it hit netflix you know the the most recent season and i couldn't get through it it was it was brutal i i forced my way through flash i didn't bail on it it because of corona it ended on a non-ending Because they never got to make their finale. Gotcha. Uh, but it's not like I used to be so excited about these shows, particularly mm-hmm. Flash and Supergirl. Supergirl was my favorite of the CW shows, and I was always so excited. And this last season, I couldn't watch it. Yeah, I couldn't make anywhere through it. When you look at the ratings, the season started at 1.26 million viewers. It ended at 600,000 viewers. Yeah. It kills I, me how how small the viewership is on these CW shows. But you know, the problem, the, the, the reason why they're able to make them, it's the demographic. It is the, even though there, there are tiny slices of people watching these things. Um, it is the right viewership. Uh, it's the, it's the viewership that, that advertisers want, which is why they can have 800,000 people watching a, a given show and it be profitable for the network. Um, but I got to tell you, as much as I, I love the actress uh, uh, who plays Supergirl, I think she's I think she's really good at the role. I think she's very yeah. charming. Um, 
I think the show's writing has just gone down. God, it is terrible. Well, and a lot of people came out this week and basically they're saying, oh, now that there's a Superman and Lois show, they're sidetracking Supergirl and they're taking away everything Supergirl did and they're throwing it to this. No, look at the ratings. The show's ratings have been plummeting. And this last season in particular, they said that's a huge drop. It dropped below a million viewers. It hasn't done that through any of the seasons until this last season. Well, and, you know, the as Paul was saying, their their mid-season crossovers are designed to be a shot in the arm. And critically speaking, Crisis on the Infinite Earth was was just terrible, just terrible. There was very little about that crossover where people were, were excited coming back. Um, yeah, this coming up season is uh, honestly it's looking like a train wreck for the CW shows because you've yeah. got shows like Flash and uh, probably Supergirl. I didn't watch the finale, yeah. but where the finales never happened. And that so, happened to a lot of shows. I mean, even yeah. outside the genre, I mean, uh, a lot of things didn't get to finish. Uh, one of the shows my wife watches on uh, CBS All Access, uh, The Good Fight, you know, they had two big characters leaving the show and they, they had you know big storylines. They never got to shoot them. And those actors are no longer under contract. So they're never coming back to shoot those last episodes. Yeah. I mean, so, so you're going to have continuity with you know, great big gaps. In them. <laughs> yeah. So this season has to immediately start out dealing with the finales for last season. Yeah. You've got Batwoman, you know, Ruby Rose is no longer on the show. So they're going yeah. to be, you know, replacing her, which completely is throws the dynamic of the show up into the air. It's going to have to be a new dynamic. Right. Over on Flash, you've got the uh, they fired the guy that played Ralph, and he was oh yeah because he had, a me too, he had a Me Too moment, right? Yep. So that one is already throwing in a uh, another curveball. And let me correct myself. It wasn't Me Too. It was uh, a race thing. Yeah, it was things he had said on Twitter back in 2011 came out, yeah. came to light, and they fired him for it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so these shows already coming back have multiple things stacked against them. Their ratings are all plummeting, and I just, I miss the excitement. Yeah. The only CW show I'm excited about is Stargirl that has nothing to do with any of the others and right. doesn't isn't in the same universe. Well, I think if if I was in any of those writers' rooms on the CW, I would go. I would recommend that they make big, daring choices and make important things happen every week instead of you know villain of the week kinds of stories as they they tend to get into. Um, I would you know leave it all on the field. You know, yeah. don't save anything back. Don't don't you know, so, for so long in the Flash story, stories they were building up to crisis, right? You know, it's that thing that's going to happen in season five um, or, or whatever season it was. Don't do that. Tell your big stories, give them time to breathe, but don't, you know, it's going to be that thing that happens on down the line. Make it, make it important now because you know, you might not get that chance. I think the the best thing that can happen on Supergirl is if they treat each one of those 20 episodes that they've got coming up for the upcoming se- season matter start making big bold choices kill off favorite characters uh they you know them. make <laughs> make the stakes no they won't because that that's not the kind of storytelling they get into yep. at the cw yeah yeah i am actually i don't know how i feel about superman and lois I, the setup I, is yeah i I'm, I'm right there with you wayne and i'll let the you setup talk. is really interesting but the show immediately comes in with a lot of baggage yeah it comes well, in with this defined universe it comes in with 
And when you look at that Superman, I think he looks really good, but there's just something he about the good. show that he makes me good. think it's going to be cheesy. Yeah, well, he looks good until you put somebody next to him who's taller than 5'10". I mean, this guy is a little bitty guy. Yeah. And yeah. Superman should be a, a great big strapping farm boy. Uh, I'm I, This mini-me Superman I've really got problems with. <laughs> I mean, Lois puts on heels and he's looking up at her. Yeah. Uh, I... I I just have a problem with how tiny this guy is. Yeah, I love the setup for the show, but like I said it brings in too much baggage. If it were a brand new show, I think I would be more excited than a show that's growing out of the CW. I'm going to give it I one episode, but I don't feel like it's... I feel like I'm going to finish that episode and say, all right, I'm good. Non-CW related, but certainly adjacent. Did they cancel Krypton, the sci-fi yes. show? Okay. I couldn't remember. Yeah, I, 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 never, I didn't even bother with season, season two season because of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I never got out one. of season one. I watched season two, but I I don't know if I finished it. Season two, what it had going for it was Lobo. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed season incredible. one. Yeah, I, I I genuinely enjoyed season one. I was waiting to binge watch season two, and then they announced the cancellation. I'm like, oh, well, then I'm just not going <laughs> to bother. <laughs> you know. Um. Yeah, so let's talk about a, a comic this week that really for me reads like a tv miniseries mm-hmm. um a doc- good one a good one right uh <laughs> dr Do- yeah not not one of the ones we were just talking about an actual good one um dr doom uh i finally got caught up i think i had only read issues one and two mm-hmm. uh and then but issue seven just came out after uh, a long delay because of you know the the pandemic they they pretty much put a freeze on on publishing any issues and so i just got all caught up issue seven came out this week and this the the book is written by christopher cantwell who is one of the creators of the tv show halt and catch fire uh, and also the writer of the new iron man book and art by salvador Loroca. and i gotta tell you aaron i adore this comic yeah i think yeah. it is fantastically written so, Paul, you wouldn't have had this issue, but Aaron, did you have the same problem I did of not remembering certain story points until they came up? No, because I was three issues back. I had been buying the book, but I hadn't read the book because we were ah. talking about it because Paul was so far behind. So you <laughs> just read it, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I just plowed through four, five, six and seven. I was and caught so, up before the pandemic. So yeah. there are certain story points like uh all the stuff going on on the moon yeah on the moon <laughs> that i had forgotten about until they yeah. bring it up it's like oh yeah that was a story point not the book's fault just a is so long since reading the last issue mm-hmm. yeah well i loved uh the artwork in issue seven was so epic there's this terrific scene and i posted it to our instagram uh with dr doom riding a bear out of the snowstorm. Yeah, and very Doom Frank, knows how to make an entrance. Yeah, Frank Frazetta. It's very Frank Frazetta, you mm-hmm. know, in, in that image. And <laughs> in fact, there is a uh, a scene later in the in the book. You know, he he gets he he rides up into camp with his the, his last remaining loyalists. He's got six of them, and he's like, you know, uh, see that my bear is you know fed and watered. And then later in the book, you know, he identifies who the traitor is and has the traitor fed to the bear and you've just got this great scene of the bear sitting on his haunches later on just picking through the bones god that was great <laughs> just and, i love uh, that and, and the thing this that issue I, brought to you by smirnoff yeah, exactly yeah uh 
the you know because there's there's target practice on Smirnoff bottles. Um, there is a wonderful tightrope that Cantwell walks in the writing of this book, where Doom is noble, heroic, and also a despot. Right? Mm-hmm. He is he is a cold-hearted dictator, but he is also the hero of his book. And I, I love that. I, 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 it would be so easy to write doom as this, you know, mustache twirling villain. And he's not, he's, it's the reason why Dr. Doom is frequently our favorite villain when we do the funnies each year. Mm -hmm. You know, we always talk about, you know, how Dr. Doom is just such a terrific character. And I think Cantwell gets that. Um, I like that he is building in uh, some tradition, some Latvian traditions. The tribal mask that Doom wears to uh, to render judgment on people uh, pledging their loyalty to him. I thought that was brilliant. I loved the the ceremonial aspect of this. This is the mask I wear when I am pronouncing uh, this kind of judgment. Uh, I thought it was super cool. I I I, I really enjoyed. When he executed the traitor, he didn't zap him with one of his you know energy bolts from his gloves. He didn't pull his his ceremonial sidearm that he wears on his suit of armor. He walked outside, took the rifle uh, from one of his people, and you know, like he was hunting a deer, shot the guy dead. I mean, I just I, this book I found to be pitch perfect. I this this is exactly the Doctor Doom book I want. Yeah, there are moments of cruelty and moments of humanity out of the character in it. You know, he has to make his point, so he makes a dying man get out of his wheelchair and kneel to him. Yeah. Yet later in the book, he sees that somebody has had their kids demolish their own faces. Yeah. And that is just devastates him. You know what I what I really like about this book is that it's talky, like a Bendis talky book. But unlike a Bendis talky book, the characters don't betray their characterization just for the sake of wit. Um, you know, they're, they're, the issues five and six are very much like this. You know, um, well, more issue six is really kind of like Doom and Kang. Like traversing the country, you know, uh, it's like planes, trains, and automobiles to get back to Latveria, and it's got this buddy cop aspect yes. to it, uh, yeah. this buddy road drop or road comedy thing. But at no point did I ever feel like I was reading a story not written about Doctor Doom and Kang. Right. You know, the the insults, the the humor of it was still with the right voices, and I think that's hard to do. Clearly, because I, I just made a reference to Bendis. I feel like it's a type of comic that Bendis would write, but I wouldn't enjoy it as much as I did with Christopher Cantwell writing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that, that's something that, that really struck me um, in that book, because it does take a dark turn at the end of the book, um, where, where Kang betrays Doom and, and they fight it out. And then you, know, then you get to issue seven, where Doom is, is taking back his country. I think this is just a fantastic book, and it reads like a miniseries to me. Like I don't know why this this I don't know if the series is going to be go beyond twelve issues because it certainly just feels like a twelve issue miniseries to me. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you if the 
um, creative team changes after that, I will probably hop out uh, as long as, you know, because it feels like we're going to get a full story in these first 12 issues. Well, and the interesting thing that I found, you know, issue seven is, is volume two, right? It's the, in, in terms of graphic novels, in terms of the trade paperback, this is, this is the start of volume two of, of the story. Um, because we, we had the, the climax of, of doom dealing with Kang in issue six. Right. And so one of the things I found really interesting is issue seven doesn't help you out at all in identifying who those kids are on the last page. No, but it's hinted at what in the previous issue, if I hadn't read the previous issue, you'd um, be screwed. You I'd wouldn't be, understand yeah. why doom reacts the way he does mm-hmm. because you know, d- we doom has seen this different future where doom is happily married has kids he is a benevolent leader as opposed to a benevolent dictator he is universally loved and you know this is the this is the future he doesn't want that future because of you know how he is regarded by the people but he sees this relationship with this woman in that relationship he sees that he is made a better man because of that relationship. Well, he finds that woman in the previous volume in, uh, I want to say issue six and, you know, she's horrified by him, right? Because, uh, he, he imprisoned her uncle, you know, for, you know, uh, minor issues. And, you know, he has been essentially been in the gulag ever since. And, you know, he, you know, that's, that's doom. Yeah. That's, he's a dictator. He's a despot. He, that's the kind of thing he does. He, he didn't do that in this other, in this other timeline, but in that other timeline, he's got these two children and he talks about them because he, he has experienced this timeline. He hasn't lived it, but he's got the memories of it as if he did. And he, and he talks about these kids like they're his, right? And so those two kids that show up at the end of the book who, you know, scar their faces so that they can rule, uh, so that they're worthy to rule as Latverians, as Dr. Doom does, that's why Doom responds the way he does. And I, I, the, issue seven doesn't help you out with that at all. So you really have, I mean, it is important that you read volume one mm-hmm. before you read volume two. But, and to your point, I think this is going to read as a full 12 issues. It's like a doomsday clock, right? It's going to, every issue is important. Yep. But highly, highly recommended on my end. Yeah. Um, and sorry for the spoilers there, but the, 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 uh, that page with Doom is perfect. It is. But yeah. I, I just super recommend checking it out. Dr. Doom's issue one through seven. The first six issues are only two bucks, um, even at full price on Comixology. Yeah. And I just, I, I love it. I love yeah. it. And I am excited to, to see how the rest of the storyline goes. Yeah. It's, I, it has been a long dry spell without it. And boy, it is welcome. I, I, it is really welcome. I got to tell you, you know, I picked up, uh, Cantwell's run on guardians of the galaxy. I had bought the first several books of that. I didn't realize but, he did that. Yeah. He, and his run is 12 issues, I think. Uh, so I picked up the remainder of those uh, because it looks like some of that's going to play in other other things that Cantwell's doing. Um, so anyway, I, I, I enjoyed his take on uh, Nova in those books. 
Well, another anti-hero, despot-type character had a book come out this week. You guys are reading Maestro. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, these are the origins of Maestro as told to us by Peter David. And again, I'll say that, uh, you know, Peter David's doing some of the best writing he's done in the decade in this book. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed it. We're getting to see, you know, how the Hulk turned into the character known as Maestro. And, you know, we find out that uh, somebody else had that name before him. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I didn't expect that Same. at all. Yeah. And then the reveal of who that character is. It For a Hulk story, that's perfect. Yeah. But how, like, why would he pick that name? Right. So that's yeah. going to be interesting. I can't wait to see how that pans out. But we got to see Rick, Rick Jones this issue. Yep. And uh, his basically i guess trophy room isn't a good way to put it because they're not trophies <laughs> yeah but his uh like memory room with all the superhero stuff and him finding out that hulk is back well and i i think it was really telling that his uh granddaughter is that who yep. she is yeah uh, his granddaughter is worthy she was able to pick up uh Majolner and uh, he's like put that down don't pick it up again <laughs> yeah and i love the uh the comment about it. He rolled away muttering, she's worthy. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I thought it was a really good book. I, I, I think it continues nicely from, uh, the first issue. I liked the backup story, uh, that was in it. I, 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 I'm really enjoying the, uh, revisiting this world and, and sort of broadening out the, uh, the corners of it. Uh, I think Peter David's doing a marvelous job here and the artwork's yeah. great. And you can see how Hulk would get to the point he's going to get to. Yeah. You know, he is seeing what humans did to the world first, you know, going across country, seeing what's left of Mount Rushmore, finding that there's hardly anybody alive. And one of the things I enjoyed with this issue is once he reaches Washington, D.C. and then uh, New York after that, you start to get the language. Yeah, because they had their own way of speaking in there that we didn't see in the first few issues because he was on the West Coast dealing with uh, Modoc and them. Yeah. But now that he's reached New York, you start to see them like the slang that they use. Yeah, it's it's a really good book. I big thumbs up. I I I, I uh, it's something I'm really enjoying, and I was glad that it came out this week. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, since we're talking about Marvel Comics, let's talk about Strange Academy Issue 3 finally coming out next week um, from Scotty Young and Umberto Ramos. Looking forward to that one. Uh, there is also uh, the newest issue of Avengers. The Age of Khonshu continues in the pages of New Avengers from Jason Aaron and Javier Garon. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask you guys. Gene Yang... And Philip Tan are teaming up to do a Shang-Chi miniseries. And issue one comes out next week. Has a beautiful cover by Jim Chung. Anyone interested in checking out Shang-Chi with me? I am totally down for Shang-Chi. All right. All right. I, 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 I love me some Shang-Chi, so I am I am in. I was really disappointed in the, in the last time that they did a Shang-Chi one-shot. I think it was. Yeah, it was too. not a good book. It was not. But so. this one, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued on this one. I'll look at the preview pages because I've never read a Shang-Chi I love Shang-Chi. Yeah, um, he's great. From Image Comics. I loved him when he was in that, was it the Spider-Man books that he was in? Where he was helping out. Yes. Uh, he was training Spider-Man how to actually, you know, do yep. some Spider-Foo. Yeah, mm -hmm. I enjoyed that a yeah. lot. I've When I yeah. say I've never read him, I mean, I've never read his. Yeah, I'm just saying, I, 
I, they have done better with him as a supporting character, and he he had done some work, I think, in the Avengers as well. Uh, I've enjoyed him as a supporting character more than I have as a lead character recently. But his books from the seventies were great. Well, from Image Comics, we have That Texas Blood, Issue 4. Oh, which reminds me that I don't think I ever read That Texas Blood, Issue 3. So I'm going to have to it's check that out and get caught up. Um, I'm current on te- That Texas Blood. I am bloody. <laughs> well, and from DC Comics, we get two jo- Joker-centric books. We get The Joker War Zone, which is uh, tales from the, uh, the Joker War uh, told by... Writers like John Ridley, James Tenyon IV, Joshua Williamson, uh, kind of what's going on in Gotham during the Joker War. Um, and if that's not enough Joker for you, we get Batman Three Jokers issue two. We, we issue one. I mean, it took like three years to come out, and now we get issue two. Finally, that's crazy. From Jeff crazy Johnson, Jason Fabok. Very good. Well, before we jump off, I've got a correction I need to make. Uh, I was wrong. It was not uh, Chris Cantwell writing Guardians of the Galaxy. It was Donnie Coates. Donnie Cates. Ah, uh, okay. So, and it was because of something Donnie Cates was doing. I got my Cates and my Cantwells confused. I mean, it's the story of my life, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we'd like to know what other mistakes we've made. Give us a call. <laughs> 972-763-5903. <laughs> that number, once again, 972 763 and if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll want a coveted, valuable ideology of madness surprise. You can also hit us up on social media, IOMGeek on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. What a deal. Well, we'll, we'll uh, we've got lots of stuff to talk about next week, guys. All right. We'll see you then. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.